Welcome to episode 597 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 597 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles here. I hope you had an amazing Christmas Day. We're releasing this show the day after Christmas Day. It's on the 26th of December 2017. And I hope you had a wonderful time with the important people in your life. And maybe you got some training in and maybe you ate a little bit too much food. Um, but I hope you just had a, a really cool time because it's a you know, it can be a special day for many people out there. So if you're celebrating Christmas, well, you know, I hope you had a great time. Today's show, we are in the first of our holiday period show. Over the next two weeks, we're just doing kind of different shows. So today, what we're actually going to be doing is, last week released, we released our interview with Hunter Kemper for Legends of Triathlon, and it was a great interview. Now, I know many of you would have gone on and listened to that through the Legends of Triathlon feed that we put out there but we thought what we'd do is we put it on IM Talk this week because I know many of you probably haven't as well so it's a really great interview and Hunter is just well, you're going to discover pretty quickly he's a really good interview so he's got some great stories he had such a long career and such a successful athlete um, but also just a pretty interesting guy and quite an honest guy which I really like and you you see later on the interview talks about the hardship of kind of giving up the pro career and you know, as you're saying, he's been an athlete for 30 years. To kind of pull away from that could be a challenging thing. So we're going to put that on pretty soon. But before we do, I just want to mention the sponsors, Extreme Endurance, guys. And one thing that you may want to think about with Extreme Endurance, and this is actually a really good idea because what they have is they have their bundle packages. And what their bundle packages are is, let's just say, you know, they, they've got – They've got well, they've got a few different varieties. They've got endurance, they've got compete, they've got train, support, support, sorry, sustain, build, triumphant, and immunity. So let's say you want the compete bundle. Now the compete bundle bundle, geez, I'm struggling with my words, aren't I? The compete bundle basically has extreme endurance, fuel five protein powder and creatine within that so it's a combination of the supplements that they sell they really think are going to help you in being able to compete at your highest level and these are ones for you know if you are looking for race day kind of competing supplements well this is a combination that you probably want to look for but if we go back to the bundle page we can have a look and we can see they've got other options so you might have immunity let's say you're heading into your winter season and you want to keep your training up we can click on that and they've got the omega-3 They've got immune immune boost, yeah, immune boost and extreme endurance in that bundle there. So when you get a bundle, you actually get a discount because obviously you're buying more at once. So when you go to extreme endurance or xendurance.com, obviously the main product that we've always promoted is extreme endurance, but they have got other products. And you may want to look around at the bundle packages and you can really kind of design them around where you are within your training season. Just lastly, while we are here, they do have some pretty cool apparel as well. And their apparel is really cheap. So if you are going to go get a bundle package and you want to get like a cool top or something as well, I remember one of the listeners had one of their cool hats at some stage. Chuck one of those in there as well and that way you can support someone who's supporting I Am Talk. Remember, Extreme Endurance and the discount code off the top of my head is IAMTALK20 and it gives you a 20% discount of pretty much everything 
on the website. I'm just looking at some of the t-shirts. It's really cool, man. They've got a really cool cap, cool singlets, got the cool tapered pants. So if you want to be fashion, you can check some of that out as well. Righto, guys, I'm going to put the interview up with Hunter Kemper. Oh, just before that, thank you to all the patrons of the show. You guys are absolute rock stars. Um, I'm going to put the interview up with Hunter Kemper right now. It goes for about an hour. It's a really great interview. Here is Hunter Kemper. Okay, guys, we are very happy to have uh, Legends of Triathlon back. We've got an awesome guest on today. He had a pro career that ran from 1998 all the way through to uh, 2015, 2016. He's a four-time Olympian, seven-time US champion. His ITU career stats are awesome. 87 starts, 35 podiums, and 15 wins across all different ITU formats. Uh, He's Hunter Kemper from America, so welcome along to the show hunter john thanks uh thanks for having me bevan i appreciate it guys it's 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 fun to join and i appreciate you guys asking me uh, so look i'm really keen just to hear a bit about pre pre-triathlon days and and obviously our audience is spread all over the world so tell us a little bit about um where you're from and give us a bit of a geography lesson yeah i, I grew up in central florida just out just north of orlando and um fell in love with triathlon at an early age but Started swimming early was was the, was the first thing I started doing at the age of six. This is back in uh, 19, um, 1982 nice. when I was six years old, started swimming, and then did my very first triathlon in Claremont, Florida, which is kind of a big deal in the U.S. There's a lot of races that kind of happen around that North North Orlando area in Claremont, and I was 10 years old. Some swimming buddies asked me to come do this race that was a 100-meter uh, swim in this lake, 5K bike and a 1k run and it took me 17 minutes to do and I beat the two other two other 10 year olds that were in the event so we were all on the podium and I finished and I finished first place so I thought I was I thought I was king of the castle in that in that moment yeah well, were you as a, as a swimming kid uh were you a good athlete at that moment were you always pretty talented as a sporting kid I was. I was into all sports. I did soccer. I did tennis. I did uh, basketball. I played baseball. I did swimming. Swimming was probably my best uh, sport, but I did all of the sport. I played so many different sports. And I think that's great for youth nowadays. I would tell them to get involved with a lot of different things and, and not just, you know, you can always wait to specialize. I think that, you know, it's kind of been a little bit overdone, the specialization so early uh, with a lot of a lot of kids, at least here in the States, it's become the thing to do, right? Like at eight years old, your kid's got to be doing tennis and that's all he can be doing. I, yeah. I think it's a bit much, but, um, but I did, I did all sports. Uh, but when I found triathlon, I continued to do all sports, but around the age of 13, 14, I became more honed in on the sport of triathlon as I entered into high school, uh, when I was about 14 years old, 15 years old, and, um, and just focused on swimming, running and, uh, and cycling. And for me, my, my baseball and my basketball careers were kind of, I was moving down the bench so to speak, you know, I was no longer a starter and, and, and became the guy that they would rely on in, in the uh, in the easy minutes at the end of the game. So uh, I knew that wasn't going to be my talent and I knew where my talent was and it was in a sport that apparently no one was doing uh, at the time. Why, why not swimming? You know, like you said, you were pretty, of the, of the yes. sport, swimming was the best. Was there a possibility to kind of progress further with swimming, like a, a scholarship or something like that? Uh, I probably could have gotten a scholarship at a, at a, at a smaller D1 school, so a pretty big school. But for me, because I started so early in swimming, I, I, I was starting to get burned out uh, yeah. of the sport individually. And I fell more in love. Triathlon kind of took its place. Uh, but as you know, and maybe probably do know, scholarships here in the States – uh, in the U S is, is not a thing in triathlon at the time. It wasn't, especially for the men. It's not a collegiate sport. It's not a university sport. 
so I had to pick a sport. Either It was either going to be swim or run at the highest level at university. And I chose running strictly for the idea that I um, was my weakest sport. I was that kid junior triathlete that would grow up and, and beat all the other age group men in the 30 to 35 category or 35 to 40 category. And, uh, and I would be a great swim, be leading the race in the bike, come off, and I'd get run down in the 5K run. You know, I'd get like by mile one or two, I'd get run down. And so I wanted to actually focus on my weakest uh, of the three disciplines because I wanted to turn pro when I came out of uh, came out of university. I had, I had a long term plan in mind because I saw the athletes that I looked up to making a living doing this sport, and I was like, "That's what I want to do." Who were those athletes at that time? You know, because you're, you're you're quite timing in the sport. You know, to be kind of ambitious at kind of early teens probably was pretty rare at that time for triathlon. You know, most of the guys we speak to kind of came at a swimming career late teens, maybe early adulthood and went into triathlon, whereas you yep. kind of hit it early. So you, who were the people that you really admired at that moment? Yeah, you know, there were there were a lot. I mean, I think um, obviously, uh, you know, a Mark Allen, uh, Dave Scott, those kind of guys I looked up to and watched, but I didn't look up to them necessarily for the, for the format they were doing. I wasn't the kid that wanted to do Ironman and felt like I had to do that. I think Mike Pig and, and Welchie were probably my two biggest guys that I, I, I naturally looked up to. I love the idea. In the U.S., there was the Bud Light series mm. that was going on. And um, these guys would race uh, all over the country d- doing this race series. And I would follow Mike Pig and, and Pig Power and see his sponsors on his on his jersey. And I just thought, man, that's just something I really, really, really want to do and get into. And, uh, I, you know, as a kid, you don't know how much money they're making as a professional athlete. You don't know how glamorous or not glamorous it is. But uh, it was it was a dream of mine to do that. And when I was in school, when I was actually in university, I went to school at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. It's a small D1 school, a uh, big conference of the Atlantic Coast Conference. But I, when I was in school, they announced that triathlon would be the, for the first time in 1985. They announced that it would be in the Olympic Games in Sydney, Australia. And then I was that was it. I mean, that became my total focus is that what I wanted to do in the sport of triathlon was to be an Olympian. Wow. So um, just explain how it works at, at college for us. You know, so you're on a running, um, you know, running's your focus at college. Yes. Uh, how arduous it is, you know, are you racing all the time? Um, what, what are your sort of requirements that you have to do? Yeah, it's a great question. But let me just back up real quick. You know, the series that I got started in is very similar to kind of the Wheat Bix in, in Australia and New Zealand, right? Yeah. It's huge over there. And so we have a similar series over here in, in, in the U.S. we did called Iron Kids. It was very similar uh, to Week Vicks. We'd have like a national t- national championships, but it was a, they were timed events. So it's a little bit more, maybe more on the competitive side, but it was mm-hmm. it was a similar format. So that was really what I was into in my teenage years up until about 14 when I couldn't do them anymore, the kids races. And, uh, and so when I went to university, I actually applied and I got, uh, they sent me, Wake Forest sent me the women's media guide. My dad got home one day and he's like, oh, you got some mail. They thought Hunter Kemper was a female runner and oh. he thought it was the funniest thing ever. <laughs> he just thought, oh, your head, your head's going to get shrunken down the side. So he handed me the phone. He's like, he's like, you got to call the, You got to call the men's track program and let them know that you're not a girl, you're a guy. And I was like, oh, as a 17 as year old kid. My running times again—that's how that shows you how good they were. They were great women's times, but they were not good uh, male times. Was it a concern so, that maybe they wouldn't have taken you as a as a male runner? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So I call them up, and I even asked for a scholarship. I was like, "Hey, can I get a scholarship?" They're like, 
are you kidding me? Like, no, not a chance. I go, well, can I walk on? Can I actually just come to university? I'll pay my way. I'll pay for the full schooling. But can I walk on to your to your program? And they said, sure, we take we take athletes. I just want to come and join join the program. So I was at that level of a rung. I was so wow. bottom level when I came on to school uh, on the cross country and track. And it was very different. When I was a freshman, I was going against guys that were like nine flat, two milers, uh, you know, pretty pretty fast times. Yeah. And, um, you know, all conference and all American guys out of high school. And so for me, it was a very eye-opening experience. And the mileage was much more. I was only probably running about maybe 30 miles a week. So maybe like, what's that? Uh, you know, is I mean, how many Ks would that be? I mean, it's not. 50, yeah, yeah. For, yeah, 50K is what I'm doing, 55K a week in high school. It's not a whole lot, mm. but we were running probably close to 100 and maybe 120K, 110K uh, when I my, my freshman year. And then it got all the way up to about 150K, uh, 160K uh, by the time I was sophomore, junior. And I, I couldn't take it. I could. I was it's about six, two and a half, six, three. Mm. Six foot three, I'm about 165, 170, but my body couldn't take all that mileage. I broke down and I, I got back from Junior Worlds, 1996. It was between my sophomore and junior year in, in college. I got sixth place in Cleveland, Ohio at the Junior World Championships. And um, Andres uh, Raylert was uh, one of the guys. He finished third that year. Um, uh, there were some Aussie Aussie guys in it. Chapo, uh, Chapo was there. Uh, Anico Llanos was fourth. Yep, Anico Llanos was fourth. Yes, yes. And, so and I've, I've, I have got to point out, Hunter, I, I was yes. going to bring this up. I beat what? you out of the swim by one second. <laughs> did. I did John, 20, you 20, did. 55 and you were 2056. Yes. You proceeded oh. to spank me on the bike uh, <laughs> and I didn't go uh, anywhere fast on the run, but I did look through those results and thought, ah, yes. beat you out of the swim by a second. So we're the same year, you and I. We're the yes. same. Uh, yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Oh, so, so, what, what, from the university, you said the running was a bit hard on the body. But it was. What, what did you learn from that time as an athlete? You know, I, I learned that I couldn't, I couldn't sustain that. I couldn't hold that. So when I came back and finished that sixth place in the Junior Worlds in Cleveland in 1996, I, I came back and, and, and told my coach, he saw me like in Triathlete Magazine, and he's like, hey, what kind of – because I came in super fit that fall for the cross-country season. And he said, what kind of miles have you been doing and, and running? And I was like, I'm running like 40 miles a week, no more. I'm doing cycling and swimming as well. And he, he, he just couldn't believe it, how aerobically fit I was. So the rest of my career, I didn't do more than probably 105, 110K running uh, a week uh, the rest of, my, rest of my collegiate career. So I think for me, it was an opening experience for him that with coaching, it wasn't – everyone wasn't the same. And especially uh, for yeah. myself as a, as a triathlete, I needed that, that balance. And me doing a little bit of cross training throughout, the, throughout the, the year was good for me. So when the guys would go on their long runs and run uh, – you know, maybe run 20, 20 miles, um, you know, run that far. I, I wouldn't do that. I would only run maybe, uh, you know, 20 K as opposed to 20 miles. And so for me, the guys would be upset, but it just, it worked well for me. So I learned a lot about my body and, and what I was good at and, and, and what I couldn't do. So, so coming out of, um, college and, and, you know, starting your professional career, um, what sort of a transition was like that was that like and so you're 1997 or around about that time how did you sort of make ends meet and were you getting lots of support and maybe just run us through those first few years of um trying to make it as a pro yeah you know for me i i graduated school in 98 uh the spring of 1998 and then came out 
I, I wanted to move to Colorado Springs. Uh, it's, it's our main uh, location for our institute. It's like your institute of sport there uh, in, in New Zealand or Australia. For me, it was, um, it was in Colorado Springs, Colorado. It was our main Olympic training center. And I knew if I could get there, they, six triathletes, six guys and six girls could be living on the complex. It was uh, you know, almost like a university grounds, but just all sports. And it was free housing and free food. Oh, wow. So I knew that that I knew if I if I could get there, my expenses. I mean, w- what really more expenses do you have? Maybe air travel, those kind of things. But if I could get my expenses as far as no no uh, lodging costs and, and and my food was taken care of, I was going to be okay. So I moved out to Colorado Springs. I made it on to like their select team to kind of up and coming uh, athletes. And so, and I also got a sponsorship with Polo Ralph Lauren, uh, main clothing company um, here, based you know based in the U.S. Yeah. all around the world. Polo is, and uh, they were starting a a. Uh, they, 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 the year before, they had a men's uh, and women's mountain biking team, and I applied to, to get a to get a, a sponsorship from them when I was a senior in college, and they said, "Hey, you know, we we have this mountain biking. Do you know much about it?" I go, "I don't." And, and then they said, "We're thinking about adding a triathlon uh, team as well." And I was like, "Are you serious? This is perfect." So I flew up to New York City, like first class, and I got onto the first ever like uh, uh, polo. It was RLX. It was called Ralph Lauren X. Uh, RLX Sport, and so I got on the first like, triathlon team. And if you see Tim DeBoom Tim when he yeah. won, yeah, when he won his uh, his uh, titles in Ironman, he was an RLX guy. And so him and I were the two men. Siri Lindley was on the team uh, for the uh, for the for the women. And so it was it was such a Melissa Spooner was another one out of Canada. So it was such a uh, unique experience for me, and it allowed me to. And it was a one shot stop team. Like they had Cliff Bar already on board. Lightspeed was the bike sponsor. Uh, Polo obviously covered you all your clothes. I mean, it was, it was, it was great. Reebok at the time was the running shoe sponsor. So I mean, it was, it was head to toe. We were covered out uh, in, in gear and kit, and then get, and made money on top of that. So I didn't have the traditional experience of that struggle. Uh, to, you know, what did you do to make ends meet right out of college and that kind of thing? It, it just kind of happened to fall into place. And then later that year. I won my very first pro uh, uh, elite national U.S. title, and I and I beat Welchie, uh, the guy I looked up to, in a sprint uh, finish, and then Wes Hobson as well, and Nick Rakowicz in uh, in Oceanside, California, when I was 22 years old, and I thought it was the greatest day of my life. Did, did I, just, you, I couldn't did you understand that you had it sweet, or did you just kind of think this is how it is as a pro I did. athlete? No, 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 no. I knew, I knew I had it really good. I was very aware. I, I was because I heard the stories about how how difficult it could be, you know. And I got on when I got on the tour and started racing around that with the ITU circuit and 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 going internationally and and talk to the other guys from around the world. I knew how how challenging it could be, and I, and I I was very very grateful and very appreciative and knew that if I could. And I and I had my dad as a backup. I told my dad, I said, listen, if I need to send you some credit card bills here, you know, if I can't make this thing, will you support me? And he said, I'm all in through Sydney. Like, I'll give you a few years, but you can't become calling me like 26 years old saying, hey, pops, I need you to pay my, you know, my uh, my bills here or whatever. So he was all in through the Olympic Games in Sydney. I made the team and, you know, it was it was different back then. I feel like, you know, the U S was coming up as far as the growth in the sport. We mm. just started adding a uh, lifetime fitness as a, as a main attraction uh, of the lifetime fitness one-off event battle of the sexes in Minneapolis. I mean, there was a lot happening. Um, and you could make a good living in the U S and non-draft Olympic distance. And so I was more focused towards ITU and draft legal, but in those off years, I could go do St. Anthony's or mm-hmm. Alcatraz if I wanted to. I could go do Chicago or these big events, Minneapolis, and uh, and have a chance to make some decent money. And 
And again, the sponsors were here in the U.S. I feel like I knew I had a leg up as a U.S. athlete because I feel like a lot of the sponsorships were based here in the U.S. that I could that I could turn to. And even though I wasn't best in the world, I was best in the country, and that was good enough at the time to to get some pretty good uh, sponsors. Just thinking back to those early years, but kind of before the Olympics, what were some of the results that you were most proud of? Yeah, that's a good. I mean, that's good. I mean, for me, it was Olympic trials. I uh, I was happy to be um, what I thought. I went to the Sydney World Cup. Um, in April and I finished I think it was right around 11th place is where I was uh, at the Sydney World Cup in, in, in April of that year of the 2000 of the, of the Sydney Games and I thought I had qualified our, our structure was that if you were the top American at that event you make the team mm. but here's what here's what happened because our other athletes and myself included my world ranking wasn't high enough it's all based on how many like your top three uh, uh, people in your country how many spots you get so we initially had two or three going into the trials, and because our other athletes haven't been doing very well, myself, I was just coming up. We left with only one spot declared, oh. and so then I, I got the information from the federation telling me, uh, yeah, I don't know if you saw the fine print, but if there's only one spot, then you actually didn't get it at the Sydney World Cup. You're going to have to improve your world ranking for us to get more spots as a country, and then, 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 then therefore you'll get that spot like retroactively. And I was Gosh. like are you serious? Like, this is no longer my spot. They're like, well, we're down to one now. So we're gonna have a U.S. trials race in Dallas in May, and you can go and do that one and, re and retry to get it. Or you can travel. There was the World Championships in Perth, Australia, two weeks later. You can go do that, try to get your world ranking up, and because I was the third athlete, and then I can maybe, maybe can get more spots for the country. And I was, I just couldn't believe it. I was just totally floored. So I chose the route of, I deserve this spot. I'm going to try to get my world ranking up, travel around. And the, the next weekend, there was a race in New Caledonia. You guys know where that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I fly to an island that I know nothing about <laughs> the weekend after I thought that I had qualified for the Olympic Games in Sydney later on that, that, that summer. And so I go to New Caledonia. I'm sick as a dog. I finished like sixth place in this points race, an ITU points event. And that wasn't really good enough, so I have to keep on going. I go fly around across the whole, um, all of Australia to Perth. Didn't, didn't realize how long a flight that was actually was from Utah. It's a long yeah. flight. <laughs> it's a long flight. It's like going from Miami to L.A. And I get there to Perth. I'm in my hotel room like sick as a dog for a few days. And, uh, and, I, and I go to the World Championships. I end up finishing seventh place uh, that year at the World Champs in 2000. And, and that, all those points that I got as being seventh, was enough to actually get us as a country three spots for Sydney, and oh, therefore wow. my my spot that I qualified two weeks pro earlier uh, counted. But if I didn't get it, if I if I flatter, I wasn't healthy enough to actually race that weekend. I would have had to have gone again back to the states and 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 win the U.S. trials, which I did anyways. But I did it having already qualified. So, you know, it was such a grind. By the time I got to the Olympic Games, I was a bit like I was I was kind of done mentally, having gone through all of that. I didn't. I didn't re-up it. I didn't, I didn't regroup. Well, just, but, um, just before we talk about the games, yeah. what was that moment like? Because you kind of, you know, early, early in your kind of athletic life, you had this goal, I want to go to Sydney Games, once you heard it came yep. around. Uh, yep. I know, you, you know, like what was it like that moment when it was like, I'm going? Oh, it was unbelievable. I, 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 was, I was celebrating in Perth in, in a place where I didn't have a whole lot of fans and family and friends around, but it was, 
it was an amazing experience for me. I mean, the, the idea to know that I was going to the first ever Olympics in triathlon, it, it's really, truly hard to describe and, and put into words that when you set a goal up that you think is very, very high and challenging and going against guys that you, you, you see and have raced against and, and, and idols that you look up to, uh, you know, like the Miles Stewart and, and the Maccas and all these different guys, you know, Peter Robertson was on file, fire uh, that time. I mean, it was all these different guys. It was it was it was great. And to represent your country uh, at, at the games was amazing. The, the only problem was, and, and as you know, I mean, triathlon being a featured sport in Sydney, yeah. it was the first and second day, yeah. you know. So you couldn't walk. We couldn't do opening ceremonies. Uh, and I was kind of crushed. I was like our, our team said, listen, you know, opening ceremonies is on that Friday night. Right. And then we race on Sunday morning. And it's just not ideal to go and stand on your feet for six hours and then try to race on Sundays. So I was like, I was listening to my coaches saying, I got it. I'll, I'll do that. I won't go to opening ceremonies. I understand that. I want to focus and try to make this event. And I don't think a lot of the athletes went. I don't know how many people actually did go, especially the women. They raced the next morning. There's no no way they went no. to uh, to that event. So well, just, just it, on, on the Olympics, you know, because it was such a significant moment for triathlon. You, and you went to quite a few Olympics. So was there something, just, just was there a special feel or did it just feel like another race? Like what was the feel around the, the triathlon scene at the Olympics? Oh, it's a great question. So let me try to put it into words. I feel like what was so cool about it is that it was a new event, right? We were a new sport. It was us, like another sport was women's pole vault. You know, they always add some new sports and take some out. Mm. But what was so cool about it is that Australia, they knew they were going to win medals, right? McKeeley Jones, like they, 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 they were, their goal was to win, was win medals. That's why they featured on the first and second day. They wanted to open up and have McKeeley Jones come away with the gold medal. She didn't, she had silver, you know, whatever the time, but you know, to come away and walk away with the gold medal. And so it was hyped up, you know, Australia as a whole, the country really gets behind sport. I mean, mm, tremendously, yeah. as you know, I mean, they love it. Swimming, you know, Ian Thorpe, it was just, it was a great scene. And so when we were there before the games, I'm on a national TV show back here in the States, a morning show doing stuff. And the first question they asked me, they're like, Hey, this is four days before the games. What do you think about the sharks in the Harbor? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> Are you serious? I'm like, is the red light on? I'm thinking I'm going to get like nutrition questions or how's the training going. They're like, what do you do with the sharks in the harbor? And I'm like, okay, here's the deal. I'm one guy. There's 55 guys in my race. I'm not the strongest swimmer as John. I mean, John beat me out of the water in Cleveland. Right? I mean, so, you know, whatever. So I'm, I'm kind of mid-pack for me, mid to upper. I take my chances that I get eaten alive by a shark. And they're like, all right, all right. So we go there. The morning of the event, we're at the opera house. We're setting our transition area in front of an iconic building. Yeah. I mean, iconic thing. Pretty the special. opera house, right? It was so special. And the, the crowds there were amazing. Half a million people surrounded and lined the course all around uh, downtown Sydney on the bike uh -huh. course. So we're there, and I'm warming up. And I go there, and they're like, hey, uh, I see these guys in wetsuits go out. And they have these guns with these masks. And I'm like, I asked one of the referees, this is about 90 minutes before the start. I'm like, hey, what's the deal with the guys in the, with the wetsuits and the guns? Oh, oh, the shark, those are sonar guns. The sharks don't like the sonar sound. And I was like, are there really sharks in the heart? <laughs> like, are you serious? This is so made for TV, right? Like in the US, you watch NASCAR for the crashes. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, like with the Sydney Olympics, you watch and see if like I get eaten alive by a shark. <laughs> and I'm like, this is so overdone. This is so overdone, but whatever. Whatever gets people back home in the US and NBC to cover, you know, my my sport. So it was awesome. I mean, 
I remember being in the bike and on the bike, I got out of the water, got, you know, there was no sharks, whatever. We were fine. Got out of the water. I come up and I'm, and I'm biking out, you know, it was like a five loop course all through downtown. I can't even talk to the people in the bike pack because it is so loud the entire, all the way around the course. And everyone's there. I mean, Robbo brought it out. I mean, it was like, go Robbo, go signs everywhere. I mean, it was, it was, I mean, they came out for, for their, uh, for their athletes and it was, it was really cool. It was just really cool. It was an event that I still today think that it was probably the top one or two events in my, in my lifetime as far as my career in, in triathlon because it was just so special to have a country get such behind a sport like that mm-hmm. and, 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 and which they really appreciated and, and be the first time. And also it was pre-9-11. You know, it's yeah. different now. Yeah. Games are a little bit different. The security is different. I remember going after the race and watching, you know, being on a park and on the jumbotrons that they had out the Sydney Games. It was just really, really cool. And reading articles in Sports Illustrated and how writers would say, why don't we have the games down in Australia every four years? Like it's just beautiful conditions, perfect weather. It was the big talk, you know. So it was it, it was something I'll never forget. And your race? Uh, 17th. I was 17th place. I was top American. I, I, I got off the bike in, in, the, in the right position, but just didn't have the run. I, I still didn't have the run. Um, I was a little bit flat that day, kind of ran into 17th. Um, was, was disappointed with how I, my overall result really, but, but got over it pretty quick because I was like, you know, I'm 24. I'm young. I still ate like horrible as far as my nutrition. I wasn't dialed into that. I wasn't dialed into sports psychology. There were so many more things that I had to learn to grow as a person and as an athlete that that's about where I was. I mean, I was racing like Simon Lessing and all these guys that I looked up to, and it was it was hard to believe. I mean, there were guys left off the course. Greg Bennett doesn't even make the team. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. He, the, I mean, at the World Cup, before he sets the, the course on fire, I mean – that those are hard. Those are some hard teams to make. I'm not going to lie. New Zealand, Australian drop on teams. I don't want to. I don't want to be on that selection committees. Goodness <laughs> sakes. Ends Goodness up in sake. court. Yeah, yeah. Well, it does it does. I um, know it's true. So to trans. So, so fast forwarding four years down the track um, to 04. So Athens, a great day for New Zealand triathlon. Um, what was the day, difference yeah. for you in terms of getting ready for that race? You know. It, in terms of the whole qualification, um, obviously it was a completely different course as well. But actually getting yourself to the start line, a bit more experience. You know, what was the whole feeling around Athens and uh, the event there? Yeah, very different experience. Like you said, you you, you kind of nailed it. It's all about your preparation lean up. When I was 24, going into Sydney was much more kind of laid back. Didn't expect that much out of myself. Going into Athens, I was actually fifth in the world with IT rankings going in. I had the fastest run on the uh, on the run course the year before at the test event in 2003. Rasmus Henning won it, and then I had the fastest run from the second pack. But you know that course, like you say, it's, it was very unique. That bike course and the hill, was, <laughs> oh, it was the real deal. I mean, it was flat out two minutes long, five times through, you had some of the girls like weaving like back and forth to get up this thing. It was, so I was prepared for it. I thought I was, right? And, I, and I, I'm 28 years old. I brought my family. I got my friends over there. They all got like the Go H-Dog t-shirts on. Like I'm, I'm expecting to medal. I believe that that's what I can do, that I will medal. That, that was what I wanted to do. And that's what I thought I could do. I mean, fifth in the world, there's no other option. That's mm-hmm. why you're there. So we go there and we we stay off site. Again, I didn't walk in opening ceremonies, even though it was the eleventh day. It wasn't even it wasn't even the first or second day. We got buried in kind of the middle of the second week because Athens and and uh, the Greeks aren't necessarily the, the best in triathlon, so they didn't really put us in a focal in a, in a featured spot. 
But I didn't walk in opening because I wasn't in the country yet. That's how dialed in I was. I was like, I don't want to be over in Europe yet. I want to kind of fly over a little bit, a little bit later. So we're going and, and we're getting to the race. And I specifically, I, I had trained for the course, which I thought I had, right? So we go to the uh, race day and it's, we're, we're there and, and we do the swim. Uh, no sharks this time. We're out there in, 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 the, in the bay and it's just beautiful waters, right? Carib- uh, um, Mediterranean waters. And we're there and we get out on the bike course. And it's a pretty big pack early on. The swim didn't break anything up. It's probably, I would say, maybe 30 guys in, in, in that coming out of the water. And you have to probably bike maybe one or two K up and up and down a 180 turn, come back before you hit the hill. And I'm thinking as a runner, now my runner, my running's dialed in. I was the fastest runner. I'm thinking, let's kind of get through this first early couple of laps and see where we stand, how it's going to go. Well, sure enough, the base of the very first hill, Peter Robertson uh, uh, launches an attack at the early stage of the first hill, like at the bottom of it. And I'm thinking, whoa, we had just gotten into our shoes. Like some people had just like Velcroed them down, like cinched them down, taking some sips of water. I'm thinking we're going to kind of, no, 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 totally different plan. So then there goes Hamish, there goes Bevan, there goes all these different guys up uh, up the road chasing after Peter. And by the time I got kind of refigured out what was going on halfway through the first hill, I gotten dropped and I'm with the main part. So five guys are off, six, six guys are off the front, right? Six guys off the front as we come down the hill, go around, and we're now maybe 30 seconds down. Not a place you want to be no. when you got Hamish and Bevan leading the charge on the front group. The second hill, again, I get dropped again. Uh, nine guys get away, and I'm now in the third bike group with Whitfield. After the third or fourth lap, I'm like with a whole bunch of runners, and we're all yelling at one another like, no, you, <laughs> you, you pull through. No, you pull through. You're not doing your work. And everyone's frustrated, and we're losing time. And I know at that point, like, with a lap to go, my race is over. These guys are crushing it. I get off the bike two minutes down to Hamish and, and, and Bevan and the guys and um, and Sven Riederer. I mean, he's not a bad cyclist himself. Yeah. So we there, and I knew I'm done. The first one or two K on the run, I'm like, I'm out to lunch. I'm just sulking. I'm upset. I'm really frustrated uh, with, with how things are going. But then I realized, you know what? I've got to own this moment. I've got to own, this is the Olympic games. I mean, it, can we, can we, can I be sulking? So at about 2 K in, I just start lighting it up and going for it. Say, I'm going to pass as many guys as I possibly can. I'm off the bike in about 17th position, like the front of the main, uh, the third pack. And I start passing some guys from the second group, uh, from countries that, you know, aren't very good in triathlon. And I, and I, and I'm running along and I get to about 10th place. Uh, and, and I'm running with Simon Thompson, who's been running with me as, uh, as well. Thompson, Simon has got uh, strawberries on both his hips. This cat was in the first bike pack, but went down on the downhill and then got back up. He was in the second bike pack, went down again, got back. So this guy has crashed twice and he's running with me to the sprint finish. And I am so upset. I'm like, are you kidding me? My race day has gone like perfectly as far as like not staying on my bike, you know, but he's actually, I mean, he's got a reason to be back here in, in 10th place or fighting for ninth. And so I was just going to let him go and like, you know, whatever. But I was like, you know what? I've got to finish strong. Like I've got to like just close this out and not wave to my crew or whatever. So I finished it. I finished ninth place. I beat, I beat Thompson who had gone down two times. And, uh, and I was, again, top American. And two hours after the race, I- I'm so upset. I'm just crushed because it's not what I came there for. I didn't come to get ninth. You know, that was not my, my envision. And the guys, you know, Bevan and, and Hamish are having their victory uh, parties and everything's, you know, everyone's talking to them. And I'm in a, in a, alone with my just my family at a cafe and my older sister is like, hey, here's the deal, Hunter. If you do the math, you finish 17th in Sydney. You just finished ninth 
in, in, in Athens. If you do the math, you're going to win Beijing. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, Lee, like my sister. Lee, I'm like, that is, it's so raw. It's like four years away. I don't know what I'll be doing in four years' time, you know? But she was just trying to boost me up. And, you know, I, I left crushed. I must say, I, I, I walked away from those games really, really saddened. But you know what I didn't take into consideration? I had the course all laid out. I did not take into consideration the other competitors and what their strengths were mm. and what they were going to do because Bevan and Hamish aren't going to sit into the run. They, they had to realize I was going to attack. They were going to attack the very first hill or the very first lap, you know? I mean, it made sense for them to do that. I just didn't realize how aggressive it was going to be. And it caught me totally by surprise. And I wasn't ready for how, how hard they hit it. I mean, those guys can flat out, they rode their bike that day. And the, and the, the three medalists came from, um, Came from the top three guys in that in that group. Uh, Sten got third, you know, Bevan second, and Hamish third or first, and uh, and Greg Bennett ran himself on the second group to fourth. And I must say, my one claim is that if you look in the results, I I believe it's it's correct. But I I, I had the fastest run split over Bennett by one second, nice. running from the third pack to yeah. So nice. the girl runner who someone thought was a girl when he was going into Wake Forest University, <laughs> has, has now become the fastest, you know, at least the fastest guy on, on the uh, ITU circuit, although he can't ride his bike up a hill, apparently. You know? So what, what are the, con- so. yeah, obviously you're really disappointed, but what are the consequences for, say, the US um, team if you don't medal at, at games? So in New Zealand, if we don't get a medal, um, costs at, a lot of money. At, at, the, the funding just mm. gets slashed to smithereens. Mm. Is, is it similar over there, or is a lot of your funding through your really strong membership base and, and, and a lot of the, the, fun, the funding it's um, channeled into the elite program from that it is it is Chad you're exactly right it's we don't get slashed that hard I mean I think the USOC the our Olympic committee looks at it as a whole at what sports are going to produce medals but our funding does, does not get slashed at that level we're, we're getting to where we are now it's, it's like that where I think they the US have slowly when we weren't winning medals they at this is probably after London that they start doing that where they're like, okay, we're going to severely cut funding to the athletes that can't get it done. But it took a long time to get there. So it wasn't like it was not nearly as cutthroat, again, as difficult as it is in, in New Zealand and Australia. That if you, I mean, think about what high level of standard that is. If you don't win medals, yeah. that your funding is going to get, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, there's only three given out, and yeah. Bevan has taken two of them. I mean, he's hogging, him and Whitfield are hogging medals, you know? <laughs> So it's it's a difficult place to be, and uh, and 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 New I mean, you guys and 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 New Zealand and Australia, those countries are, they're on top of it. It's a little bit, which I think maybe that's why you've gotten the medals you have. I don't know that that level of stand, that level of uh, of of expectation is that high, but um, but for us it wasn't like that. I I came back because I was top American. Who else were they going to go to? I was still getting fully supported in in, in every possible way. You, you you won the US champs so many times in your career, seven times you won it. So so why was that was that a big deal for you to win the US champs? It was early on, I think. I think later in my career it didn't become as big a deal because I was like, yeah, I mean I'd won seven of them at the time. So I mean mm-hmm. at, at towards the end, so it, it didn't. But when I was going against uh, you know the Greg Welch and it was an international event and it, it, it seemed like a really big deal. Now our US champs this past year was uh, at the Sarasota um, World Cup event uh, at the end of this past year, the IT World Cup, and it turned into a duathlon. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like, I mean, that's kind of where it's come. We haven't, we haven't somehow, we, I, don't, I don't, I think we've not done the best job in featuring our US uh, national championships and made it such a big deal. The problem is 
you've got to put it in an international race or else it has then you're racing about you know 10 or 12 guys it becomes almost a, a non-draft event mm-hmm. so to speak mm-hmm. you know so um so in our my first u.s champs that i won was a non-drafting event it was was actually in, in 98 so it was a big deal um but towards the end it wasn't something that i totally keyed off of i wanted to try to become best in the world that became my my focus and i was able to do that after athens actually so, so how did you pick yourself up off the canvas after Athens? You know, you raced another, um, you know, you raced Beijing and then you went on to race London as well. So Beijing, you finished uh, seventh place and then yep. you went on to London. So how did you pick yourself up and, and how did that sort of um, almost that second phase of your career, how did that sort of pan out in terms of how you were structuring your seasons and, and picking races and combining your domestic stuff with the international um, racing? You know, it's a great question. I, I came home from Athens, like I said, disappointed. I, mm. You know, we again, I, I came back to our Olympic Training Center, and we have so many offerings that you can do. Sports science, you can get plugged in. Sports nutrition, I can work with the nutritionist. Sports psychology, I can have a sports psychologist. I mean, so I really grabbed hold of that. And for me, I, I dialed in my nutrition uh, way better than I ever had. And, and that's really more the timing of when I was eating. I felt like I wasn't recovering well enough from sessions. And so um, so I really honed in on my nutrition, what I ate, when I ate it, eating more consistently throughout the day. I, I started gearing in more with a sports psychologist about you know, that entitlement feeling like, oh, I've worked so hard and trained so hard man, I should just go and win this race easily as opposed to the guys like, well, you know, there's 50 guys in the line that believe the same thing that you do, you know, right? I mean, you don't get a head start, do you? I don't, I don't get a 10 second advantage. Oh, Hunter, you did that workout the week before, you know, the Olympic games, you, you do get that advantage. No, it's, it's all cutthroat. It doesn't matter what you've done in workouts. You still got to perform on race day. And so for me, I really took a lot of pride in that 2005 season and, uh, and finished the year number one in the world, uh, right, in, right in close to your backyard in New Plymouth, uh, in New Zealand, in yeah. New Plymouth. And so I was a fun story that I was at the World Championships in uh, in Gamagori, Japan. I'm number one in the world going in at the World Champs. This this time the World Championships, um, it wasn't a one off deal. It was it, you're, you're a world champion at the end of the year, the season yeah. like it is now. And um, and so we're at the World Championship, the one off event, uh, so to speak, in Gamagori. I'm number one, got number one on my leg, uh, and I finished. Uh, I'm, I'm, the, the, the bike horse is like about 20 turns, eight laps, a million turns. I'm in the back of the pack with like Andrew Johns and these guys, and, and I'm, I cannot get myself to the front. I'm struggling that whole entire day. I get, off, I get off the bike at the very end of the group of 40 people, which is not a good place to be as you enter T2, right, as you go on and, and, and head out. So I'm running, and I'm instead of picking all guys off from like 30th position in the run, and that was my thing, I'm number one in the world. I thought I would just run through the field. I'm going backwards, and I'm just like, man, I'm I'm having a rough day. My my wife's there. She's like at the at the 2K mark, and I turn to her at, at two kilometers, and I just kind of shrug my shoulders, like I don't know what's going on, like an out of body experience. I finish. I sprint. I sprint for 43rd place. Talk about a humbling feeling. Wow. I mean, you're just sprinting down the line in Gamagori at the World Champs, the one off day, and I'm there. And before that, about about 2K, about 8K into the race, I actually catch Courtney Atkinson. And we start talking and he's like, hey, man, it's not going too well for us. And I'm like, yeah, you think <laughs> like we're back in the back, like just jogging because we're just and then all of a sudden he's like, hey, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get going. And I was like, what a second. I, I, I caught you. I was supposed to be passing you. Like, why are you now all of a sudden going to take off again? Like, we're way back here. So then he goes, you know, whatever. And I just want to go home. I thought my season was in August. You know, I thought we were done. I wanted, but we had China. We had Beijing, the first test event for Beijing the very next day. And, um, and so I was like, oh, I don't want to go, you know. 
And um, I, I'm like, I'm just burnt out. I'm done. I think I've, I've gone too long with my taper and everything else. And my wife's like, are you kidding me? Like, you just had a bad day. You're, you're, you're the best athlete in the world right now. You finished 43rd. That's, I mean, that is like so far be removed. So she convinced me to keep on like staying in Asia, go race Beijing the next weekend. And, um, and I did. And I, and I, and I ended up winning the, the first test event in Beijing at the, uh, at the World Cup on, on their uh, Olympic course that they were going to have. And, um, and I raced uh, the French kid for, in the sprint finished who had finished fourth um, that, that day uh, and, and, and won it in, in a sprint finish with him in the Beijing at the test event. And then I went on to New Plymouth to race uh, uh, Gemmel and, and mm. Bevan and, and these guys on that course, uh, which was new at the time, and lost in like a four-way sprint finish. Yeah, it's at, a great like, race. It was, yeah. oh, man, it was so it was so it was so classic, and I was done. I mean, Gemmel is like constantly attacking after the U-turn, and I'm just like, they start playing games, and I'm just like, oh, just keep on doing this because I can catch back up when they when they start going uh, going slower and messing around. And uh, I finished fourth. I was the fourth guy of the four-way sprint, sprint, you know, but it started. But I was so excited. I, I just wanted to win the world title at the end of the year. And I got to celebrate and, and do uh, an epic, an epic uh, three-week tour of New Zealand afterwards uh, after that, being the world champion. And it was, it, was, it was probably one of the best times of my life during those years of 05, 06, when I was number one in the world in the ITU. I just... It felt good to reach the highest level um, in sport. It, it was it was a great place for me to be. What does it mean for your identity? You know, like as an athlete, you know, to, not many people get to be the best at something in the world. You know, and especially something that's really you know highly competitive. What does it What does that give to you? You know, it, it, it's a funny thing, triathlon, right? And your identity when you get wrapped up, mm. you reach the highest of highs, but then you can also make it the lowest of lows if you don't have other things that you find value in and that you can't see that you're worth more of a person. If people only see you as a triathlete and that's all you are to them as a sponsor or as a friend or as a hanger on person, yeah. that's a tough place to be, right? Because you're only as good as your next win or your next place. You know, it's kind of funny in, in 2006 that, that, uh, the next year after I'd won the world title, I went to the, uh, the lifetime fitness, the battle of the sexes. We had it for like five years in a row. It was $200,000 to win this one-off race. Right. And the year before, um, uh, uh, our, my Australian friend, um, uh, he won Ironman like three times. Um, um Mecca. No, no, not no, Macca, not Macca, no, Macca, Macca. Craig Alexander. Craig Alexander, thank you, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Craig Alexander wins it in 2005, wins the um, uh, Lifetime Fitness in 2005, uh, Crowey does, and then goes on and, and, and keeps on, you know, that kind of, I think, like, was almost like the kickstart to his, like, huge career after that. Mm. But then I realized, you know, there, this whole guys versus girls, $200,000, I told my wife, that, you know, Barama Karate, the, the head of, uh, of Lifetime Fitness, isn't going to keep on offering up a, a $200,000 check no. to, to win this race. And I won it that year in 2006. I beat the top best 18 men and you know, it's the whole time thing. So it's not a true race, you know, whatever, but it's kind of, it's somewhat, somewhat fun. And I, and I won it. I won a free car, 200 K wow. and I thought it was the greatest thing in my life, right? I was pregnant. I had been married for three years. My wife was pregnant with our first child. I had just bought a house. So I was in such a need of some money and <laughs> all those things, right? Like bills are coming and they're coming fast. And so I win that race. The very next weekend, I go race an ITU World Cup in Cornerbrook, Canada, and get like sixth place, and I was just crushed. I was, the whole week I was on a high, and then I just was like, wow, it can turn like yeah. that. I say that to say, you think you're the, on top of your game one weekend, and the very next weekend, I'm getting sixth place in a World Cup in Cornerbrook, Canada, which no one, you know, no one really talking about. 
it was a tough place to be. And so, so it's a real I, emotional roller coaster ride. It is. It's a, yeah. just in that week, but also in your career, it's a roller coaster ride, right? You have to surround yourself about people that love you and care for you. The person, mm-hmm. Hunter Kemper, the person, not Hunter Kemper, the athlete, because you know, when I'm talking to you today, if my value as I'm, as I'm exiting the sport, I'm no longer racing triathlon. It's tough. I mean, I don't know how, if you guys have talked to, you know, I mean, I, yeah. I, I can't wait to go back and listen to some of the, uh, you should go listen your- to our Mike Pig one. Cause he said one of the greatest lines I've ever had any interview he did. He said, it's so hard to stop being Superman. And, uh, it was just, you know, as you kind of talk about now, it's this, this moment where you've kind of been such a pinnacle, such a peak person to let go of. That's a really hard thing. It is hard. Who said that? Who Mike said Pig. that? Mike Pig said that. Yes. Yeah. I want to, yeah. So, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know how like the Hamish and, and Bevins, but it, it's been really hard for me to do this whole retirement. It's been way harder than I ever thought it would be, to be honest with you. It's, it's, I, I've, it, it's just, I, when someone takes something away, when you feel like you're still healthy and can do it, but your body is telling you, you can't compete with the 20 something year olds yeah. like anymore. It's, it's a tough place to be. And, and it has as hard as you try not to get wrapped up and not being your identity it does. It, yeah. it, and because you're always, you know, you're always that Olympian guy. You're always the guy on Triathlete Magazine that they, when you go to triathlons, they talk about, they want your autograph or whatever, and you can't still do it. And you can't make a living doing that. Mm. Man, it's, it's been a real challenge for me. Uh, and I think for a probably, and now I know why athletes hold on as long as they do. I get it. In any sport, I get it. Because from the time I was 10 years old, when I won that first race, when I beat two other kids, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what my passion in life was, and I loved it. I'm not saying there wasn't lows, because I've had some really big lows, right, in my career, injuries and all of this, but the highs and just the, the, the idea of living the lifestyle, I mean, it's just so much fun to say, what do you do for a living? When someone asks you that, that, that ultimate comment, right, that what everyone asks, so, so mm-hmm. what do you do? I say, I'm a professional triathlete, and then it comes with, oh, you do that race in Hawaii, and I'm like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no, like I'm in the Olympic Games. Oh, okay. So yeah, you, you then 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 the follow-up question is, so what do you do for a living? And I'm like, oh, are you serious? I just told you I was like number one in the world. Like I do this for a living. Like this is what I do. Sponsors pay me to do it. You know, it's like a humbling feeling, right? But it's I'm like, would anyone ask that to Peyton Manning in the NFL here? Like, hey, yeah. what do you do? For, like or Ronaldo. He tells them, Yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a star like football player around the world. Oh, so what they wouldn't ask that, but they do for me, you know? So it's kind of a fun place to be but i've loved it i've loved the lifestyle and now i have to unwind that of 30 years of living that mm. pursuit and passion of it and what does that look like after and it's been a it's been a real challenge i'd love to like sit down and talk to you know i know greg bennett's going through it i know uh i know Devin has in the past i'm sure hamish has and what does life look like are you always a triathlete do you stay in do you stay in that do you still stay in that that lane of the sport do you go into coaching I mean, what do you do you know and you got to feed your family and it's been so easy to do that I mean, I've got four kids and a fifth on the way in March, which you is need such to stop a blessing. Reading, that's what you need to do. Yeah, I know. I do. I do. You're right. You're right. But I, you know, I, I've got to figure it out, and I've got to do it, and I will. But it's been, man, it's. I wouldn't say I've been depressed, but it's been a hard place to be to unwind that. You know, stop being Superman. And like what, what what is helping? Is like you know, like are, have you finding kids must help? Yeah, well, well, they yeah. keep you busy, but like, are yeah. there bits that are. Are you starting to discover some things that help you move through it? I am. I am. You know, a real passion of mine is youth triathlon. I love. I love what Wheat Bix has done. I love. I love the whole program. I, my passion is to get youth and kids in this country moving. So many people are on the the games and the iPads and mm. and playing that and not outside exercising. So, mm. 
for me, I think triathlon as a vehicle to, to increase self-esteem, to, to, to make someone, make a kid, a 10-year-old kid that maybe 15 pounds overweight feel good about themselves, yeah. it's a true passion of mine. The problem is kids triathlon in the States, is, it's, it's, it's tough. It's a, it, no one does it, right? Look at Iron, Iron Man. They don't do Iron Kids anymore. It's gone. It's become running. It's, it's now a running series, you know, whatever uh, okay. people, it's a tough, it's, 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 we don't have a wheat bix here in the U S and I would love to model that kind of mm. concept of it here in, uh, he, here in the U S I just got to find the right company and the right partner and the right grouping in order, in order to do it. It's almost like Maca, right? You see him now and doing mm. what he's doing. He found those people, right? He found people to back him and believe him and see what he's doing uh, with his series that he's building, right? Mm. And that's what was his, that was his passion. I mean, growing up and, and um, you probably raced, uh, you know, the mm. F1 series, John, right? I mean, growing up doing that stuff, like it's, it's and he's found that. So I think for me, I, I, it's, it's probably in the youth side. Coaching to me is not, I'm not that, uh, I wanna coach age groupers to get them five minutes faster in their half Ironman, that's not my love. To, to, to write down, you know, and do that online coaching. I don't believe I, it's not who I am. I'm much more of a relational person. So I would do it much more on a, on a squad that I could see on a, on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. So, and now we're actually adding women's triathlon to university here in the state. So it's coming on board. Oh, Aaron okay. Densham is uh, the assistant coach at Arizona state with cliff English. So we're adding some schools. It's, we're not quite there yet. Uh, you know, they're adding some, so, some smaller tier schools, but pretty soon, you know, hopefully the Stanford's and the, these big schools, what Cal Berkeley and UCLA, yeah. yeah, opportunities will start coming you know, they're, they're there, they're down the road. So a, a lot of people, you know, we had a few people post some questions on Facebook. Um, yeah, look, it, the obvious question is why didn't you go try long course? You know, did you ever try a, at least a half Ironman? And 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 did Ironman ever come onto your radar? Yeah, those are those are great questions. You know, I actually, I, it's kind of sad to say, but I actually haven't never I never tried a uh, half Ironman. I never never raced competitively in the elite level a half Ironman or or not so elite. Um, and that's something I felt like I could have done. I actually tried. So I went on to London, right? And I was probably the fittest I've, I've been. I thought at, at 36, I was super fit going into London. I had some lower back issues on the run at, on the games, but I was so proud of myself to be there having qualified with such a big hurdle in 2012. I finished 14th. You know, Gemmel uh, was, 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 or Bevan was right in front of me. Those guys mm. were there. You know, Bevan finishes 12th. I mean, I beat. Three weeks before, at a non-draft race in Minneapolis, I beat Bevan by like a minute and a half, and then I go to I go to the Olympic Games, and I didn't I didn't get it done. I wasn't going to win. I wasn't going to beat the Browning brothers or, or or Gomez, but I thought sixth and seventh and, and that top seven, like trying to beat my best Olympic uh, finish, was possible. Uh, but it didn't happen. But I actually continued on to Rio. I mean, we, I didn't make our U.S. team. We had uh, Ben Canute, Joe Malloy, and, and this guy named Greg Billington make the U.S. team. But I was part of the five guys that was trying to make it to Rio. So at the age of 40, I was trying to become the only uh, five-time uh, Olympian in the sport of triathlon. Right now, it's only myself, Sven, uh, and, and Simon Whitfield that have gone to four Olympic Games mm -hmm. in, in triathlon. So I was trying to make, be, you know, stand out on my own, like that longevity mantle, like, hey, I'm the old guy making it back on a – and apparently a, a fairly weak country because we're sending – if they're going to send me at 40, then that's not looking good for our, our, our program. And just so you know, the funding was dried up. Like they were – no longer was I getting – wasn't getting the support, you know, in, in that regard, I mean, which is – I shouldn't be because, I mean, I was – but I didn't make it. I had a toe injury that I couldn't make it. So I think it was still my passion to try to make it back to another Olympics, even though I wasn't going to medal, mm -hmm. um, that it didn't allow me to do the half Ironmans. But you know what? Like 
I knew my lane. Like I knew what I was good at. I knew for me, Iron Man was not something that I was going to be good in. It's, it's a totally different animal uh, mm-hmm. in regards to Olympic distance. And I think, you know, some people can make the transition and always would have that desire to like a Ferdino and these guys that are going to be coming up. Javier is going to come up and make it probably really, really well. Right. Gomez. Mm-hmm. I mean, get, get your get your victories while you can before before some of these young uh, short course guys get in there. But it wasn't it wasn't a passion of mine. I wasn't I wasn't I, I didn't like to ride my bike that much, to be honest with you. 112 <laughs> miles on the bike seemed like an awful long way to race. It was so hard for me. And I couldn't get my mind around the nutrition component and getting that dialed in. You can't just I just can't roll up at the age of 36 after London and think that I'm gonna go and crush Iron Man. It's not gonna happen. I mean, the learning curve is enormous. Mm. And I, I didn't have the patience for that. And there was still enough non-drafting Olympic races here in the US that I wanted to try to win, like High V. Corporation, they were a sponsor of mine. They offered a race that was $100,000 to win, $200,000 to win at the time. Yeah. So I was still very comfortable making a good living, doing very well for myself here in the States in the non-drafting world that I knew I knew what I was good at. And I think that's important for people to know. I would say when those listening, you have to know who you are. You have to know the kind of person you are. I mean, you know, why, why didn't Greg Bennett go long course? I mean, Bevan did, but you know, why didn't certain, why didn't certain athletes go long course and do better than they do? I mean, it's, Long course is a totally different animal, and, and I have so much respect for those guys and what they do. To be able to run the way they do off the back bike is, is unbelievable. I mean, it, it really is, and it's getting so fast now. I mean, how fast is the sport getting? I mean, at, at, in Hawaii, it's getting – it's unbelievable. I mean, they're crushing it on the bike. I mean, those, Lionel Sanders and these Sebastian Keenley, I mean, they, they ride their bikes like at 40K speed for, you know, for the whole entire race. I mean, it, it's impressive. Yeah. It really is, and I have a total respect for those guys, and I – I knew that's not wasn't my thing. I should focus on what I'm good at. So you, you mentioned a little bit about your training, you know, and your your running when you were just running, and you ended up being a, a lower volume person. What about your training as you progressed through your triathlon career? Were you sort of again mid volume? Were you sort of real high intensity? And did that change much as you as the sport developed, and also as you got older? It did. It, so it did change a lot. I was probably. I was probably running about 110k for the run. I was cycling, you know, maybe more like, uh, you know, uh, 240 miles. So that's probably like what 400k on the cycle, yeah. uh, and then you know swimming about 30k in the water. So that was my 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 weekly training. So I would think I was probably, but I would probably have about two or three hard intensity sessions in there a week. When I was young, I was going. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I was doing like a track workout on Tuesday, maybe a tempo kind of like mile repeat session on on Thursday, and then a brick workout on Saturday, like maybe like two rounds of like on the bike off, like with a 5k and then do it again kind of thing. So I was, I was a lot, I felt like I was a lot of the, making sure the intensity was there and then a long run on Sunday. So I was putting in the work, but I feel like as I got older, I still tried to do it. And then I realized, wow, like mid 30, my body is changing. I, I can no longer do this. I, I can't recover. I can't, I can't respond. So I was only doing two hard, like somewhat hard training sessions a week and trying to figure out what does the recovery look like and, 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 and really dial into like the Normatec boots and the ice and the ice baths and those kind of things, because that's kind of what made my career as long as it did is that I really figured out the recovery component, uh, I think to it in a, in a big way. And I think it's important to, the reason I was able to be a professional until the age of 40 was because I had the right people around me, people that mm-hmm. believed in me, right? It's so much true that you have people that don't believe in who you are. Like, I mean, John, you know, growing up racing in 
thing. W- what does it look like when you're a young kid? You got to surround yourself with people that think that you can be the best. If you have that talent, you can't be around naysayers saying you're never going to get there. You're not going to believe. You're not going to get to be in the Olympic Games. So I had the right people, the right coaching, the the, the right uh, the, the, my, my my family structure, my wife, even my kids. I mean. My wife was a was a uh, um, uh, professional volleyball player, so we met at the train center, and so she was a, she was an alternate for the 2000 games. So she was there with me in Australia and in Sydney, and she was an alternate for the team, which means nothing. You're kind of like a phone call away. You don't get any of the perks. You don't get to be part of the team, which was a really hard place for her to be. Mm. But I say that to say that she got me. She knew the dedication it took. Yeah. So you know what she did? She would allow when our kids were little. She would allow me to wear like earplugs in my ears when I slept at night. <laughs> How crazy is that, that I'm even admitting this, that, that when I would wake up in the morning, I would say, how rough was it, babe? And she's like, are you serious? Did you not even hear what's going on? And I would get like nine hours sleep and she would be like, oh, you owe me so much later on. And it's coming back. Hence all the, uh, all, all the runs in the cars. I'm, I'm the guy. I'm daddy, uh, daddy daycare now. So Think I'm about your in. career is, is it's such a long career. And, and so the changes you must have seen, you know, like, you know, you talked about in the kind of the mid 2000s where you were dominating and then you talk about going to London and, and you knew that you really weren't going to medal at that race and at the best maybe sixth or seventh you know what are some of the changes you've seen from the late 90s through to the Gomez and Brownlee era oh it's I, I felt like I've seen a lot and that that's what I've taken the most pride in that I was able to ride that wave maybe I didn't ride I, I rode it to be the best in the world for those kind of two years in 05 and 06 but mm-hmm. I rode the wave of making teams right mm-hmm. and so I've seen so much changes from you know from Lessing and, and the Miles Stewart days and and, uh, and and Whitfield and doing and then seeing you know Alistair and Jonathan and like you said Javier Gomez and these guys and now Molas and these guys tearing it up I think it's it's just gone so much faster. And for me, the swim kind of evolved too. I, I realized that I had to get my swim going into Beijing. It, it was starting to fall off a little bit. I had to kind of pick it back up. And so I was, um, I was always trying to adapt and change with it because that wave was increasing. It was, it was getting stronger and stronger. I just wish I knew, you know, at the end of my career, what, what, what I knew then, if I knew it back in, in mm-hmm. Sydney and, and that, you know, that young kid, uh, I didn't know the same stuff. I didn't know how to train properly. I didn't know all the right ways in which to do things and the experience. I didn't have it. And I think the biggest thing is, and, and kids, you know, when I realized in 2005, when I was number one in the world, I would go to races just like the Brownlings probably do now, right? It was the same mentality that when you go to races, you know, you're going to be on the podium. You just expect it. You expect mm. to be there because you know, you put in the work and, and you've been winning races. You know, when you go to Mexico, you win a world, big world cup. When you know, when you go to Beijing, China, you can win a big world cup. You know, when you go to New Zealand and, and you're around the world that you show up and you can, you know, still be in a, in a, in a sprint finish with, with the boys of New Zealand. Like you just, you just know that you can do it. So I think it's the, but it's that for me, it was that belief in myself that I, I finally realized that when I had come to that level that I didn't want to ever let that go. And it was hard to, after London, it was so hard to know. I remember crying so much after that race saying, you know, that was it. That was my last shot. I mean, the medal wasn't, but that was my last shot, even to make a team, I thought, or anything, and and for sure, any kind of medal opportunity, that was it. And and to see that and to know that kind of uh, lose that 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 mindset is, is tough. But the sport has changed, and it's only getting faster. And you know what's exciting about it? With the mixed relay, it's only going to get faster, yeah. which means which means the ages are going to come down. You're not going to see any more. You're not going to see any 36 year old like people born in the 70s. Like my birth date was 76 when I'm going on the line to London and I'm racing these guys and everyone's born in the 90s. And I'm like, <laughs> what in the world? Like, I'm 
I'm totally like the dinosaur here. Like, you know, <laughs> Devin and myself are like still trying to do it. Although he's got hardware and I didn't, you know, I was so, I was so jealous. I was so jealous of guys. And you know, what's cool is that someone like Bevin and Simon Whitfield, you know, what's unique about them and what I never was able, I figured it out at the trials. I figured it out at a world championships and one-off events, but I never figured it out at the Olympic games that to be able to maximize and get your best out of yourself when everyone is as at their best to win a medal, it is so hard to do. And those guys like Bevan and Simon who have won multiple medals and now Alistair, I mean, it's, it's impressive. It's well, impressive. It's basically, you got four races in your whole career, don't you? Well, you got four yep. races, you know, to get I got it four. right. You know, yep. like it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I got seventh place. And for me, that was, that was, I was happy with that in Beijing with my seventh place in Beijing because I had a sports hernia going in and, and I actually was hurt the whole time going in the lead up. So that's, that's all I could do. I was happy just to be, I was happy to be there. Um, but anyways, it, it, it is, it, you got four, I had four times to get it right. And I, and I, and I didn't do it, whether it was because I wasn't a good enough athlete as they, as they were, or I just didn't get it done in the day. It's tough. You get one shot. There's no like prelims and finals. Mm. There's no like second chance. I and mean, then this isn't like a hundred yard sprint or, or like a, a pool where you have lanes. I mean, we have these things where you have bike courses where you can get flat tires and crashes. I mean, there's a lot of luck that goes on involved mm. as well. Yeah. It's a challenge, you know, ask Gomez as he went in and prepared for, for Rio, you know, or, um, you know, not, not being, not being able to compete, you know, so mm. it's tough. So you've um, you've sort of talked about you're not quite sure what what sort of lies ahead, but um, any, anything you want to get out there, any other th- sort of topics that maybe we haven't discussed that you, you, you're passionate about and, and sort of want to get off your chest that maybe you haven't been asked about before? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think for me, I'm, I'm trying to write a book. That's kind of one of the things, not me personally, but I'm working with a contributor to write a book. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I, I'm still in the early stages of the proposal stage and, and what it looks like. It won't be so much a, of a training, like di- diary kind of book. It'll be more of like, you know, what are the what are the five principles that made me go from, you know, the, the, the everyday kid in the U.S. to being a four-time Olympian? What is it that I, I really honed in on and did that? So I hope to impart that sometime next year and and and, and drop that book sometime next year. So hopefully maybe mm-hmm. we can we can touch back touch yeah, base back sure. again, I, I, again then. But you know for me it's it's um it, it's it's just trying to live life and trying to find my way in the sport of triathlon and what I'm passionate about. That's what I'm I'm, I'm focusing on is that you know for so long I've had this passion of triathlon and racing and living my my dream out. But what does that look like and 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 passion somewhere else in life? Is it is it maybe it's in the financial industry or if it's somewhere else or if it's kids triathlon? How can I make it work? You know those kind of things. I'm excited to see see what's next in, in my career and and I I will always be involved in triathlon. I don't see myself racing as an age grouper right away. I, it would be too hard for my ego to show up at some like non draft event and get beat by you know some 35 year old you know age grouper person that, that works in, a, in an office somewhere. That would be too hard for me. I couldn't do it. So <laughs> you're gonna be like, oh, what happened to Hunter? And all of a sudden see me come back and be super fit at like 45, right? Yes. That's gonna be that's gonna be me. But what are the? I hate to tell you about this. Forty-five is not that far away. <laughs> it's not. It's not. It's not. I won't. I won't give it much time. I won't give it much time. Just, just no, two quick know, questions. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who, who did you respect most as competitors? Who did I do what? Who did you respect most as competitors? Um, I feel like guys that you could see putting in putting in the work. You know, I I I, I really liked. I mean, someone like Hamish. I, I really liked him. I felt like, you know what I. I, I liked about him, which I remember him saying something one time that really stuck with me. 
he 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 uh, he he didn't race a whole lot later on in his career, right? He would mm-hmm. he would be very specific and target about his races. And I remember talking to him. He was we were at a race in, in Canada at uh, in, in Edmonton at a World Cup there, and it was towards the end of his career. And he was racing, and I was racing too. And we were both in drug control and. Uh, and I was like, you know, how, how did you get your career to go as, as long as long as you did? And, and one of the things he said, you know, is that he did race less, but that when he showed up to a race, he was ready to go. He, he wasn't going to travel around halfway around the world or around the world to show up and say, oh, I'm just going to train through this race. He owned it. He, he didn't he didn't try to undersell it. He didn't try to say this race doesn't mean much to me. He would go maybe race six to ten times a year. But when he when he came to race, you knew he was going to be going for the podium. He was going to be actually, you know, get, getting after it. So I loved, I loved uh, he- hearing words of wisdom from someone like Hamish. And, um, and, and so for me also, uh, uh, Whitfield, was, was, I was a big fan of his. I feel like how devoted he was. Uh, um, obviously, uh, you know, Bevan, Jan Ferdino, those guys were all guys that I looked up to because I, I knew how seriously they took the sport mm. and how much effort they put into it and how – um, that they didn't mess around. They treated it as their job, their living, and, and they did very well and, and were very successful. I always loved the guys that were able to make it because you can't fake the sport. You can't put it in halfway and think, oh, I'm, I'm going to be on the podium somewhere. It doesn't happen that way. You've got to put in the work, and guys like Simon and Jan and, 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 and Bevan and Hamish and those guys, they did. You know, they were they were great, you know. I, I loved it. And I love, for me, I love the fearlessness of, of Robbo, someone like Peter Robertson. Yeah. I never had that. I never had that kind of mind, mindset that he would launch uh, on the start of the run with 10k to go and he would run it. He would run the first 2k as if it was the last like it was the last 100 meters and I just could not get my mind around that type of mentality and getting, you know, to maximize yourself every day. I love that mindset that he had all the time about attacking races. I loved yeah, he, it. He was crazy, wasn't he? Just lastly, um how would you like to be remembered as an athlete? Um I think kind, compassionate, someone that would always talk to people that uh, that love the sport of triathlon. I, I like for people to remember me as someone that had a long-standing career in the sport, that was able to do it the right way, that was able to do it clean. Uh, that I, I, I'm such a believer in in, in clean sport that I never mm-hmm. um, once was um, uh, even thought about that any of that kind of stuff. And so for me. I wanted to, and to do it on my terms and that you can have a life and that you can have a family and that it, it didn't have to triathlon. And that maybe that's one reason why I didn't maybe make it to the very top of the, you know, make, get, get a medal in Olympic games is that it was important to me, but so was my wife and so was my family. And so I didn't move around a lot. I didn't do a ton of training camps, different places, right? I didn't do a lot of these things, but my marriage is strong. My kids, mm-hmm. lo- you know, my kids, I mean, I have four kids and I, such a family guy that that was so much important to me as well, that balance in life. And so I did it my way. I had the sponsors to prove it because I think they liked that too. They wanted someone to be able to speak as well off the race course as they can, as they can on. And so for me, I hopefully people will remember me in, in, in those ways. Fantastic. No, I love following your career. You're a real consistent performer. And uh, also just in terms of today, you know, very yeah, well-spoken awesome, guy. So I think you've got a great future in front of you on whatever comes your way. So You don't let passion. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you guys. And I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, the Legends of Triathlon, your podcast, I can't wait to go back and look at some more because I think you're documenting and you're doing and you're basically taking towards people can now know the history of the sport all the way through. And I appreciate you taking the time and, and, and thinking of me to, to, to want to interview. It means a lot. So oh, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing. You deserve to be on the list, mate. Yeah, you definitely do. So thank you. <laughs> so there you have it. There is our interview with Hunter Kemper. 
the American legend that he is. I, I really enjoyed that interview. I just felt um, a pretty enthusiastic guy, which is pretty great. Uh, me being an enthusiastic guy myself, I kind of <laughs> I always appreciate someone who doesn't lack enthusiasm. Um, but great insight, great honesty. Uh, and just seems like a really good man. And I loved when we asked him that question at the end around what, what, how would you want to be remembered? And there's one kind of a theme that came through a little bit in, in the interview, and it was that whole idea of probably a good way to wrap it up as being the whole person. And um, I don't know, I just thought that he did a really good job of kind of being that whole person as such. So, um, yeah, yeah, I just think, it seems like a pretty great guy. So that's this week's show done and dusted. I've got to say a big thank you to all of the patrons of the show. And also, if you are looking for some extreme endurance, go to xendurance.com. Other than that, next week what we're going to be doing is I've done an interview with a guy called Eric Barker. And he wrote the book, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it's a book that's actually really good. I really enjoyed it. And that's why I interviewed him. So... Um, if you're looking for kind of scientifically scientific proven ways to be better at success, well, Eric Barker is the man to kind of read and listen to. So I'm going to put that up in next week's show. And then in two weeks from now, John and I will be back into the studio kicking off 2018. And it's going to be a massive year for us. So you have a wonderful new year. Um, keep your training up. And if you're in New Zealand and Australia, keep your training up because you need to stay focused right now. And I'll see you next week. And then John and I will see you in a couple of weeks. Let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endone. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.